fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the program on this Wednesday, August the 9th, 2023. So glad you're with me on The Kale Clark Show. You can call this number right now, 888-914-9149. Every time I say 888, I think of the wrestler Triple H. I don't know why. I'm not even that big of a wrestling fan. But 888-914-9149 is the number to call. You can also email the program. Yes, email still is a tool used by millions, if not, maybe, I don't know, are there a billion email users? Probably at least every single day. And you can email me, add to those multitudes of messages that you get and that I get, that we send, that we receive. You can send it to me at kale at relevantradio.com. That is the email address, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. It's, it's the X app now. We know that. We know that. But old habits die hard. And by the way, yesterday it was the Feast of St. Dominic. So many great feast days in August. Wow, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But we kind of got on this roll. We were talking about uh, married priests, and the phone lines were jammed the entire hour. So I do apologize for those of you that didn't get in yesterday. Um, I, it was one of those days where I wish I had another hour or two because we could have just ran with that for a long time. But... A lot of you guys had some hot takes on this. And so we didn't get a chance to talk about the the saint of yesterday, <laughs> who's, who's a saint for all times, really. It's Saint Dominic. And today's saint, wow, is is Saint Edith Stein, Saint Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And we'll talk about her, too, time, time permitting. And I, I just think August is such an incredible month for saints. It, 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 we really are in august company as it were, and I, I heard a meditation uh, that was preached by, I, I don't know the priest's name, but it was it was interesting. He talked about how August is really the month when the saints come marching in. Every, every, every month has its great saint feast days, but August is particularly good. It's particularly rich. And he, he started off by talking about the, the famous T.S. Eliot poem, The Wasteland. I don't know if you're a poetry guy or a gal, but it starts off like this. It says, April is the cruelest month. April is the cruelest month. And, and we all know that April showers bring May flowers, but we don't like it when the rain's falling. He says, April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow feeding a little life with dried tubers. Summer surprised us coming over the, I don't even know what this is, with a shower of rain. We stopped in the colonnade and went on in sunlight into the Hofgarten and drank coffee and talked for an hour. That sounds pretty good, to, to be able to drink a coffee and talking for an hour, walking into the Hofgarten. I, if I was walking into the Hofgarten, I might want a whole garden, not a, not a coffee necessarily, but... I digress, but April is the cruelest month, isn't it? And this whole idea of uh, dull roots underground uh, being watered with the spring rains, and, and eventually the flowers are going to bloom, and we, they are in full bloom now in this month of August. But kind of reminds us that there's always stuff going on under the surface, isn't there? Uh, April can be a cruel month, and there are periods of life that we go through that are pretty pretty harsh and, and desolate. 
but but hopefully we're growing on the inside. We're growing on the inside, just like those roots that sprout their bulbs eventually in the, the luscious fruits of summer. And that's kind of what we see here in August. The saints come marching in. You see the, the great fruits of the holiness of the Spirit of God manifesting in the lives of the saints. And, and we ought not to think that these are rarefied characters, and they are. There's no question about that at one level. But we are also destined for this life. We we, we are all destined to be canonizable saints. I saw a clip the other day. Maybe you've seen this. Uh, Steve Jobs, the late uh, co-founder of Apple. He, this is a years ago clip before Apple really went back to dominance. But he started talking about how, you know, everything that's made by everybody that you see, everything that's amazing, was made by somebody just like you. They're, they're really no different from you. I mean, yeah, they have skills, they have gifts, they have talents, but, but they're just people like you. And if we kind of open our eyes to the fact that we can become something too, that, that's certainly applicable to the spiritual life for sure. We were called to be saints. As St. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, we're looking at that letter, by the way, on the Faith Explained program, 1230 Central. I just had to show, throw in that shameless plug, but um, hope you're enjoying that. Really interesting um, show that we did today on, on what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean to think like Jesus? Check out the podcast in case you missed it. But it's true that we are all called to be saints. And just think about the great saints in this month of August. Uh, St. John Vianney, a patron saint of parish priests. We, we dealt with his feast day just a couple of days ago. St. Alphonse Liguori, uh, St. Dominic yesterday, St. Edith Stein today. Uh, day after that, on August the 10th, St. Lawrence, the deacon and martyr. I know producer Jim, he's kind of the patron saint of barbecuers, probably. He's probably very close to your heart. Um, the famous line, I'm done on this side, you can turn me over now. He's roasted to death on a gridiron. The humor of the saints, the often gallows humor of the saints. Uh, you can only do that. You can only make jokes like that if you know exactly where you're going five minutes later. We'll talk about him later on. St. Maximilian Kolbe this month, what a, what a phenomenal saint also of World War II, like St. Edith Stein, we're going to talk about later. St. Stephen of Hungary, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, St. Pius X, St. Monica on the 27th, uh, St. Augustine. It would, be, it would be a travesty if St. Augustine's feast day wasn't in the month of August, August Augustine. Or as uh, when I was in the Protestant seminary, uh, and during my years as an evangelical, uh, Protestant Christians tend to call him Augustine. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, Catholics call him Augustine. Well, his very name, of course, contains the name of this month, and uh, his feast day is on the next day, the day after his mom, St. Monica. It's the 28th. And, but it's actually the re- it's not just because his name is Augustine, it's because he actually died on that day, the 28th. Then, of course, the next day, the 29th, the beheading of St. John the Baptist. I mean, it's just packed with an all-star cast. The hits just keep on coming, don't they? But I do, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Dominator. And I'm not talking about Dominic Hasek. Time permitting, producer Jim, remind me to tell you a very funny story about Dominic Hasek. But um, I want to talk about St. Dominic, who's kind of a dominator in his own way, a dominant evangelist. Um, and not. I remember, I think it was about maybe last year, maybe the year before, uh, on the program, I had uh, the distinct pleasure of, and he's been on the show before, he's a great friend of the program, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. OP. He's a Dominican. Uh, he's uh, part of the team that brings you the God's Planning podcast. Maybe you've heard of it, along with Father Jacob Bertrand 
Jancic, who's also a Dominican priest. And together, those two guys combined on an interesting book about St. Dominic. It's called St. Dominic's Way of Life. I highly recommend. It's really good, really well done. And something that, that not a lot of people know is that, or maybe you do know this, when you, you've seen paintings of St. Dominic, when you've seen maybe statues of St. Dominic, very often there's always a star over his head in, in the painting. I even saw a statue of him where there's like kind of a star car- carved onto his forehead. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. He's got the star on his head. No, no, no. He's actually the patron saint of astronomers, if you can believe that, St. Dominic. And that's because there's a story that's told about his mother, St. Dominic's mother, who is also, by the way, a blessed. Her name is Blessed Jane of Aza. And it is said that when St. Dominic was baptized, she had this sort of vision of a star descending from the heavens upon his forehead. And, And... it's kind of appropriate, and, and in the book is a really nice chapter on this by Father Patrick Mary and Father Jacob Bertrand about about the light of truth in the life of St. Dominic. I want to share some of this with you. This idea that the star is, is a symbol of the light, the heavenly light. What St. Dominic tried to do is draw people to the light of Christ. And St. Catherine of Siena, another great saint who was a Dominican, and she, she talks about th- this revelation that she got from, from God. And, and here's what St. Catherine of Siena said, that God basically spoke to her in some way, a locution, sort of this inner voice, and, and God said to her, look at the ship of your father Dominic, your spiritual father Dominic, my beloved son. He governed it with a perfect rule, asking his followers to be attentive only to my honor and the salvation of souls with the light of learning. He wished to build his foundation on this light, end of quote. Now, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good way to live your life. If you can be attentive only to the honor of God and the salvation of souls. And that's really what being a saint is all about. It's about loving God and loving people. It's about, it's about sanctity and it's about, in fact, sanctity isn't something we can kind of cook up on our own. We God has to give it to us. It's about sanctity, and it's about helping other people to become saints, sharing the gospel. And that's, that's what St. Dominic did so well with the order of preachers that he founded. And it was all about divine wisdom, the science of wisdom, the, the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And St. Edith Stein, whose feast day is today, she, she wrote this big work called The Science of the Cross. The Science of the Cross. So the science of wisdom, really the wisdom of God is the cross, which... As St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to the Greeks. It doesn't make any sense, the crucified God. But but there's a lot of wisdom in the cross, a lot of light in the cross as well. But it's the light of truth. And that's what St. Dominic tried to to lead people towards. 888-914-9149, you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And Fathers uh, Patrick Mary and Jacob Bertrand remind us of... You know, really, what is the truth? What's it all about? And, and Aristotle, of course, the famous philosopher, he once said, you know, he died around 322 B.C., but he, in, his metaphy- in his metaphysics, his work known as metaphysics, he said that truth means to say of what is that it is, and of what is not 
that it is not. It is what it is, as as many athletes will say uh, in press conferences, and as trite as that is, there's something to that. This is reality, folks, truth and reality. So what Aristotle basically meant by that is that if, if we say something is true, it means that it corresponds to reality, the way things actually are, that which is. And then St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, speaking of Dominicans, what's, what's, what's amazing to me, what's amazing to me, is that St. Dominic never wrote anything down, as far as we know. Maybe he did, but I'm sure he did at some point, but he didn't leave behind any, any books, any, any collections of works, nothing. It was, he, he, there's no known work that survived that's written by St. Dominic, but his followers certainly wrote a lot. In some ways, that's kind of like Jesus himself. Jesus didn't write anything down, except for <laughs> except when he was writing on the ground that time in John's Gospel. But St. Thomas Aquinas, a Dominican, certainly did. He wrote a lot, the angelic doctor. And here's what he said about the truth, St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, truth is the, equa- is the equation of thing and intellect. So yeah, the thing really is, kind of like what Aristotle said, it's reality. And then you need to, you can apprehend this. You can apprehend this truth with, with your mind. So it's kind of this harmony, as the fathers point out in their book, that it's a harmony between that which is in reality and ideas of things in the intellect. In other words, your intellect and what you think about stuff needs to correspond to the way things actually are. So is something true? We say it's true if it conforms to reality. It's not true if it doesn't. But ultimately, truth is a person. It's more than an, an idea, a concept, a, a, an abstraction of any kind. No. Pontius Pilate, when he was talking to Jesus, when Jesus was on trial before Pilate in John chapter 18, he said, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus said, hey, anyone who's on the side of truth listens to my voice. Well, what is truth? He was the original uh, relativist, if you will, Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Of course, we know the truth is a person, Jesus himself. In John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a person, and we need, we need to, to get in touch with him. And, and speaking of relativism, this is exactly the situation in which we find ourselves now and why St. Dominic matters so much at this time. Think about Pope Benedict XVI, before he became Benedict XVI, and this probably helped him to become Benedict XVI, before the conclave started, after the death of John Paul II in 2005, the, the conclave was about to get going in Rome, and he preached to all of the cardinal electors before they went into the conclave. And the then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger said this very famous homily. He said, Today, having a clear faith based on the creed of the church is often labeled as fundamentalism. End of quote. You're a fundamentalist. You're a fundy. How can you possibly believe that Catholic stuff, after all? It's ridiculous. Don't you know we live in the modern age? Well, this is or the postmodern age. And he went, on to, he went on to say this. Cardinal Ratzinger went on to, to continue by saying, whereas relativism, that is letting oneself be tossed here and there, carried about by every wind of doctrine, and he's quoting St. Paul. He's preaching off of a text from St. Paul. Tossed here and there, carried about by every wind of doctrine, it seems the only attitude that can cope with modern times. We are building a dictatorship of relativism that does not recognize anything as definitive and whose ultimate goal consists only 
were solely of one's own ego and desires, end of quote. And what, what, a, what an apt description of this world in which we're living, isn't it? And this famous line, the dictatorship of relativism. It's not just that people don't believe that there's truth. It's, it's all relative. It's your truth, your, my, my truth, his truth, her truth. Whatever you think the truth is for you, eh, run with it. But that's not reality. That's, that isn't truth. And, and it's funny because people who hold that, that worldview, if you don't buy it, they get mad at you. They get angry with you. You'll be persecuted if you don't believe in this. That's, what, that's what, exactly what Ratzinger meant by the dictatorship of relativism. If you don't hold to this, you're in trouble. Because we think relativism is true. We, can't, we just can't get away from this idea of truth. That, that's, people who think relativism is true have just made a truth statement. So this is the situation in which we're living in. And St. Dominic can really help us because he lived for the truth ever since he was a kid. And St. Dominic was really, he really lived out this, this spiritual work of mercy, right? There's the corporal works of mercy. We've got we to clothe the body. We've got to help people in practical ways. And to be total Christians, we have to do both, of course. But he really lived the spiritual work of mercy, especially of instructing the ignorant. Instructing the ignorant. And, and he would never just, if somebody was wrong, he didn't just say, okay, well, you, you do you. He never said that. He loved other, as, as the fathers say in their book, he loved other people enough to share the truth with them. That, that's exactly what it's all about. Because if we leave people without the truth, if we, if we don't want to share, and you got to pick your spots, obviously, you got to, wisdom, the leading of the Holy Spirit, but if you're not interested in evangelizing, if you're not interested in the apostolate, if you're not interested in sharing your faith in Jesus Christ, one has to question, maybe number one, maybe you really don't believe it, or possibly you don't care enough about other people to give it to them. Now, that might sound really harsh, but at the end of the day, what, what is the reason why you wouldn't want to share the truth with somebody who's clearly in error? Do you love them enough to tell them the truth? Now, they may not like it, but, and they might, they might get mad at you. But, but then the problem becomes, I'm concerned about myself and how I'm going to come off and, and what you might think of me, but you, you can't think like that. You can't think like that. People rejected Jesus. Of course they're going to reject people who talked about Jesus' message. It's going to happen. The Lord warned about this himself. But this is what, what, the, what the order of preachers was all about, the Dominicans. The order of truth. That's what they called themselves. The order of truth. And they defend the truth with fearlessness and freedom. Freedom. And, and I'm going to share an interesting anecdote about about St. Dominic and how he, he was actually moved to tears when he saw people living apart from the gospel and it, and it, it moved him. It really became his life's work. Plus much more, 888 You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Talk about explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. This is what we strive to do. I need to learn how to do that better. And that's exactly what St. Dominic did. And how this all kind of got started for him. Now, we know that his, his big 
enemies out there were, were called the Albigensians. That's, that's a big word, and I'm going to tell you really what that means. But how he encountered the... Just before the break, we talked about how St. Dominic, whose feast day was yesterday, how he, he didn't want to leave people where they were at. He loved them too much not to match them up with the truth. And speaking of matching people up, he, he was actually trying to be a matchmaker. This is a little bit like Fiddler on the Roof with the, with the matchmaker. For, for some reason, at some point, he was on a journey along with Bishop Diego, this particular bishop. And the reason why he was on this journey was because Alfonso IX, who was the king of Castile, he actually told this Bishop Diego, hey, you've got to set up a marriage for my son my son Ferdinand and, and I want I really want a, a good bride for him and I, I would really like you to match him up with one of the daughters of the Lord of the Marches the no the Lord of the Marches what's this all about so historians kind of argue about this where were they actually going so Bishop Diego is trying to find a bride for the king's son and he takes with him Saint Dominic so they're on this journey some people think they went to Scandinavia some people think they went to France, and that's maybe maybe Italy, but a lot of people say France, the regions of southern France. And it's on this journey that St. Dominic discovers this false teaching that was kind of, these guys had broken away from the Catholic Church, and it was really, really insidious. And they, they reached the, uh, the city of Toulouse in, in France, and uh, Toulouse, yeah, they certainly were losing big time because... They had become false teachers, and St. Dominic began to weep when he found out how many people had slipped into this heresy. It, it, it haunted him. That's, that's how Father Patrick Mary Briscoe and Father J Jacob Bertrand Jancic uh, explain it in their book, St. Dominic's Way of Life, that this just haunted Dominic. He wept. He bemoaned the fact that souls were deceived and they didn't have the truth. When, when was the last time you or I wept? Because souls didn't know God. Somebody you know, maybe, didn't know the truth. I'm not saying you have to dissolve into tears and, you know, pass me the, the Kleenex. Yeah, but but does does it even bother us? Are we, are we kind of contentious to let people go in their ignorance? Because what, what we don't know can definitely hurt us, for sure. And, and, and it's tempting just to, to live and let live. But if we really care for people, we, we really want them to know and love the truth. So... What was the problem with with these people? Well, they, they had... Remember when we talked about the Gnostic heresy a couple of days ago? Pope Francis came back from World Youth Day, and he talked about Gnosticism, this ancient heresy that the Church has never been able to shake. It's always been around in some form or another. And the Albigensians that St. Dominic ran into in France, they were essentially, from a Gnostic point of view... And why are they called Albigensians? Because the stronghold of this heresy was a city called Albi. And really what this was, it's also known as Catharism. Um, but really what it was was dualism. And this, this, is, this is very much from the Gnostic um, root. So this idea that the material world is evil, only the quote-unquote spiritual is good. So they were down on marriage. They thought marriage was evil. Childbearing was evil. Everything in the material creation was evil. And it was created by this lesser God. We talked about this the other day, this Demiurge. They viewed this as the God of the Old Testament, a different God from the God of Jesus Christ as revealed in the New Testament. Well, that, that's not true. There's only one God. And he's always been the same. But why was this so attractive to people? This doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But um, 
as the Dominican fathers explain, people really dug this heresy because it, it explained the problem of evil very nicely. It was nice and tidy, tied up with a bow and, and box it and send it to your friends. Because, hey, the whole world is evil because it was created by this evil God. Oh, okay, that's why bad things are happening. So it's, it's not because, it's nothing to do with God. It's this, this evil demiurge that started all this. And they, they, they basically, the Albigensians started saying matter doesn't matter. So, again, they go one of two ways, either become extremely ascetic, they punish the body, uh, starve themselves, uh, don't engage in marriage, that sort of thing. Or they just kind of, the other temptation is just to give in to sin and sin wildly because it doesn't really matter. And the body is evil and doesn't matter what we do with it, can't affect my spiritual life. That's the way a lot of people live today. It's, it's not true. It's not true. And so this is why, and St. Dominic is very much associated with the rosary and with the incarnation. He painstakingly explained, no, the, the creation is good. God created all this stuff. He became one with his creation. He became one of us. He uh, took on a, a human body from the Virgin Mary at the incarnation. So he, he never tired uh, of preaching. And he made sure that everybody that was in his orbit, all the Dominicans, all of his followers, Study, study, study. You've got to study. You've got to know your faith in order. You've got to know the true faith to, ca- to contradict all the error that's out there, all the, all the falsehoods that are out there. And so we have to do the exact same thing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to go out and get a PhD in theology. It doesn't mean that you have to join a religious order, although God may be calling it. If you're a layperson, it doesn't, you still have to know something about your faith. A couple reasons, because you can't love somebody that you don't know. We want to love Jesus Christ. We've got to learn about him. We've got to read the gospel. We've got to become familiar with the contours of his life. As St. Jose Maria said, you've got to have his life playing in your mind like a movie. uh, In IMAX, if you will. Um, And and this helps you to make decisions in your life. What would Jesus do? Like those little bracelets that people used to wear. Um, It's important to to study the faith, to study the catechism. Um, That's why we had the Faith Explained program on Relevant Radio, to help us learn the faith, learn the scriptures. That's how we come in touch with with God. And and so really, when we say study, what does study really mean? You've got to read. Study essentially means reading. So we've got to do some sort of reading on a regular basis where we learn something about the faith. Spiritual reading is good. Reading in the New Testament for a few minutes a day. And also, you know, trying to, when you can, read some good books, some good Catholic books and articles. And, in fact, it was so important to St. Dominic that his followers uh, be great learners so that they could teach others that when he started the Dominican Order, he took the first six of his brothers. The very first thing they did was they went to a bunch of lectures from this guy in, in Toulouse, Alexander de Stevensby. I've never heard of this guy, but... Uh, he's like, hey, this, this dude is giving some lectures. We've got to go check this out because we've got to learn. We've got to know what's going on here. And when he sent them to Paris in the year 1217, he told them to do three things. Study, preach, and then set up a convent in that order. First thing is, is study. Of course, prayer is probably number one, un- unspoken, but study and then talk, okay? And, and then... And then set up, uh, set up your your your, your convent, your, your your monastery. And he and he would really focus on situ- on places like Paris and, and cities where the universities were were getting going. But but this is an amazing. Here's an here's an incredible line from their book from Father Patrick Mary and Father Jacob. Listen to this line. 
and this is something that we can we can apply. This is a very tweetable line if you want to tweet this out to your friends. For the Dominican, the wood of the desk is the wood of the cross. Oof, I love that. For the Dominican, the wood of the desk is the wood of the cross. So, study, in other words, the, the study desk, that, that, that's where they united themselves themselves to Jesus on the cross. They made the sacrifice of their, their time, um, putting their minds, their hearts, their intellect at the service of truth. Because truth is not something, and they talk about this in the book, truth is not something you cook up on your own and say, wow, I'm so brilliant, I discovered this. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. God unveiled it for you through your study. It's not from you. It's from God. All truth is God's truth. And to serve the truth, as they say, requires being very humble because you can't make up the truth. You find it. You discover it. God helps you to discover it. And pride is what says, I know it all. I don't need God. And that's why it's the greatest of all sins. It separates us from truth. We've got to be very humble to accept the truth. That's why so many people don't want to accept the Catholic faith. I have so many friends that are really bright. Do they get it? Can they understand it? Absolutely. But they don't want to submit to it. They don't want to submit their minds to the magisterium of the church. They don't want to submit their bodies to the moral law of the church. They want to do it their way. Like Frank Sinatra, right? And, and, and you know that's the song of the bad place in the afterlife. That's the theme song. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to end up like that. And, and it's true of our work as well. Not just the study desk, but our work desk, our workbench. The wood of the workbench or a desk in the office, that, that's the wood of the cross as well. That's the wood of the cross as well. There's so many powerful applications we can get out of that. But, but again, it, it's all at the service of God and people. Loving God, loving people so that we can bring them back. We can bring them back to the truth. And you, you can't love somebody that you don't know, but also the more we know about Jesus the more we can love them too. And that's going to be attractive to other people. Just our love of God is going to, is going to be sensible to them. And, and I just, I just think there's so much to, to really meditate on here. But, but I, I, and again, one of the things that they say, um, the two Dominican fathers in their book, Father Patrick Mary, Father Jacob Bertrand, is that the magnum, the magnum opus of St. Dominic, he didn't really have one in that he did not write anything, but, Neither did Jesus. And there may be some connection there. Here, here's what St. Thomas Aquinas, the, the very uh, prolific writer Dominican, once said. He said, quote, It was fitting that Christ should not commit his doctrine to writing. It's fitting that Jesus shouldn't leave any books behind. Why? First, on account of his dignity. For the more excellent the teacher, the more excellent should be his manner of teaching. Ooh, that's pretty interesting to think about. If you're a great teacher, you don't even need books. Because people will just remember it because it's so good. And that, that's exactly what Jesus was like in the Sermon on the Mount. People were hanging, like, hanging out with him for days, for skewing food. Yeah, they didn't care. They just wanted to be with him and just soak it all up. The more excellent the teacher, the more excellent should be his manner of teaching. St. Thomas Aquinas continues, Consequently, it was fitting that Christ, as the most excellent of teachers, should adopt that manner of teaching whereby... His doctrine is imprinted on the hearts of his hearers. Wherefore it is written, Matthew 7, 29, that he was teaching them as one having power. And, and that's, that's what St. Dominic did. Maybe, and maybe he didn't have time for it. He was pretty busy setting up the Dominican order. 
he was a, he was a busy guy. His schedule was was pretty taxing. Um, but maybe maybe he was thinking, hey, I'd rather you just uh, observe my manner of life and copy me, just as Saint Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, but here's what he said on his deathbed, though. This is a pretty this is a pretty uh, great teaching to leave behind. This is what Saint Dominic said on his deathbed with his with his spiritual sons gathered around him. He said, My very dear brothers, this is what I leave to you as a possession to be held by right of inheritance by you, my children. So this is this is the this is the inheritance. He says, have charity, have love, preserve humility. Again, you can't study without humility. Preserve humility and possess voluntary poverty voluntary poverty and saint dominic is well known for that there were a lot of preachers who worked for the vatican quote unquote who who would travel around with all these bodyguards and all this retinue and he never did that he was very simple he would just kind of check into the local motel six keep it low key and do his preaching so this love of truth this this idea i need to love the truth i need to live the truth i need to possess the truth with love humility and and poverty and you say well i'm not a religious how can i live poverty well you have to live poverty of spirit even though we, we live in the middle of the world, we need to have and use stuff. We need a car to get around, get our kids to school, whatever the case may be. But we don't let these things possess us. We live the spirit of poverty. And people notice that, too. They, they pick up on that when our lives in total are oriented to the truth. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I find St. Dominic so inspiring. He is a saint for every age, and certainly of our age, which is so in need of the truth. And that truth of the capital T, the person of Jesus Christ. This is the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. 888-914-9149. This is the K.O. Clark Show. Giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back. 888-914-9149. Wherever you may be listening all around the world through the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com. You might be joining us via our stream, our live stream, or you might be listening on one of our 200 radio stations from Maui to Maine in the United States. Well, let's go to New York City right now. Let's go to the Big Apple. Muhammad is in New York City. Welcome to the program. Yes, Kale. Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I have a question. Um, I have a question, please, about the Old Testament. Um, I was listening to you maybe like a few months ago, mm-hmm. and you tried to make the connection between the Old Testament and Babylonian mythology. The question I have, do we know if the Old Testament is the oldest divine book that we have? Because the question in front of us is if Babylonian mythology, which existed about 2,000 years before the Old Testament was written, if they did not take their stories from the Old Testament, from where did they take the stories from? And let me just state that almost Mm. all, almost all the stories in the Old Testament, like uh, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Noah, and, and the um, and the flood, um, yeah. the story of Joseph and his brothers, similar stories we know that they existed in Babylonian <clears throat> mythology. So, I um, before before you answer, I asked the the same question to some um, to some uh, Muslim imams or something like that, and and they said that um, in their belief they think that there 
other books existed before the Old mm. Testament, and um, and they say that um, that that is how the stories wound up in Babylonian mythology because they took them from other books that existed before the Old Testament. Okay. But actually, they, they uh, but I, I asked them, okay, what books are we talking about? Do we have those books? And they, of course, they said no. So well, I just, uh, that's I just. Let me just jump in here for a second, Mohammed. That, that's an interesting question. Thank you for calling, by the way, uh, Mohammed in New York City. And uh, if you're saying that you're listening to me, you're probably listening to the Faith Explained program, perhaps. And I don't, I don't recall talking about Babylonian mythology unless I mentioned it during an. Uh, I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. We can also say that, but uh, perhaps it was during the the Genesis series. I, I did a, a, a series on the Book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And the question of divine revelation obviously comes up, and it's interesting when you when you read Genesis, and and then we get into the questions of when the book was written. Um, obviously, there are there are ancient uh, traditions of divine revelation that are in there, no no question about it. And one of the things that you notice when when you read it is that the Israelites were, I don't think there's any doubt, they were responding to false pagan beliefs that they were surrounded with all the time. For example, a great example of this is the pagan god, the Canaanite god, Baal. It's interesting because in in today's gospel, uh, Jesus meets a Canaanite woman who ironically has a lot of faith and has a lot more trust in him than many of his fellow Israelites did. And he does a great miracle for her. And this, this Canaanite god, Baal, was seen to be sort of the god of thunder, the cloud rider. But but you really see when you look at the Old Testament, Yahweh, the god of Israel, the one true and living god, is described as the cloud rider. It's interesting. It's, you think he, you think Baal is the cloud rider? Uh-uh. No, no, no. Let me tell you, Yahweh is the real cloud rider. So it, it, there, there are cases where uh, pagan imagery, if you will, is sometimes baptized with the truth. Just like this is what God does with each one of us. He, he takes us out of the pagan world, and we are baptized, and we, we become his possession. And he makes us holy. That's, that's what the process of sanctification is, is all about, becoming a saint. And so things and images can, can be, ideas can be um, made, made, because all truth is God's truth. Once again, you can take something and apply it to the faith in creative ways. And, and a lot of evangelization has been done that way as well. Things that were in cultures that were not necessarily antithetical to the gospel were sometimes worked in and, and adopted. Um, actually, my, my brother-in-law is, is in Africa right now, and he went to a mass that was well over three hours long on Sunday, and it, it adopted a lot of really interesting local cultures. And he was kind of amazed by this, uh, yet it was still the Catholic faith, of course, the Catholic Mass. And, yeah, I, I, think, I think for sure that um, God reveals himself. In, in terms of, are there, are there books out there that are, that are older than the Bible, perhaps? But again, uh, lots of, of pagans out there were looking for God, were looking for the divine, and had all kinds of theories. But there's only one God. There's only one true and living God. And so... Who are these deities that the pagans are worshiping? Well, there's really only two answers. They are either demons in disguise, and that's what the Old Testament says. The gods of the Gentiles are devils. That's one possibility, or they just straight up don't exist at all. But there's only one God, and he reveals himself, of course, through, first of all, through his people Israel, and then later on, of course, through 
the church through through Jesus Christ, His Son, uh, the the ultimate Israelite, and also the Son of God, the divine Son of God. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that helps to answer your question, but it's a really intriguing one. It's a really intriguing one, and there are certain certainly pagan philosophers that we talked about that this week as well. They hit on some aspects of truth. People like Aristotle, um, they, they sort of Plato. They, they maybe came up with some ideas, concepts. They were kind of on track, but they didn't have the light of divine revelation. Um, and the church was able to provide that. So in, intriguing question. Thank you for listening in New York City, Muhammad. And thank you for calling in. By the way, it's uh, yesterday was the feast day of St. Dominic. We talked about him earlier. I'd be very remiss if I didn't mention at least something about St. Edith Stein a convert to the Catholic faith from Judaism, and she perished in Auschwitz, in the death camps uh, during the Holocaust. And um, she absolutely was a martyr for the faith. Uh, And and John Paul II, when he canonized her, he also named her the co-patroness of Europe. And and it's interesting, we talked about, uh, with respect to St. Dominic, the preaching of the truth and helping other people to find the truth. Interesting anecdote from Edith Stein's. She kind of was. She was. Um, she was born into a Jewish family, but she basically walked away from her faith when she was very young. Um, her father died when she was only two years old. She was born on uh, October the twelfth, eighteen ninety one, which is actually uh, the time of Yom Kippur, that particular year, the Jewish Day of Atonement. And her dad died when she was only two years old. She gave up the practice of her Jewish faith when she was a young young adult, but. She she walked one time she was in Frankfurt and she walked into this with a friend. She went she went to visit the cathedral. And she was an agnostic at that point. She'd fallen away from her Jewish faith and she wanted to just check out the cathedral for architectural reasons, wanted to see the the, the aesthetic beauty of it, yada yada yada. And as she, she went in there, she saw this woman, just an ordinary woman, who was she'd been out grocery shopping and she had her shopping bags with her and she kind of was weighed down with all the stuff. She just comes into the into the cathedral and kneels down and starts praying. And she's looking at the tabernacle and she's a completely she gets completely lost in prayer and worship of our Eucharistic Lord. And that really had an effect on Edith Stein. And she she wrote about this later and she was like, Wow, I, I hope that one day I will have that kind of absorption in the mystery of God, end of quote. So for, for everybody listening out there, never discount what, what God is able to do in and through you. Because this ordinary woman who was out shopping probably had no clue, no idea that that simple act of making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament on her way home from the, from the market was going to one day impact the life of a future saint of the church, uh, one of the greatest saints of the 20th century, St. Edith Stein. And, and it was a martyr for Jesus Christ. And that, that's part of what... So as we carry out our, our Catholic faith, as we just seek to live it out in natural ways, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, people do pick up on, on things. And God, God makes the, these, these little divine appointments happen. Sometimes we're unaware of this, as I'm sure that woman was. You know, she probably, God willing, she's, she's in heaven, and they met each other in heaven. And wow, thank you so much for that example. And one of the things that Edith Stein said was, "Man, there's there's no way. Like, I just can't imagine somebody just wandering into a synagogue to, just to just to pray. I mean, they could pray at home, uh, or or even a, in a Protestant 
uh, church, there's really not much reason to go in there. But we have, of course, the divine presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And that does make a difference. And people can sense this. And so there's an incredible story about Edith Stein. She was, she was an intellectual giant as well. And um, she was a philosopher. Um, she had studied under the very famous professor Edmund Hersale. Um, she studied philosophy. And through her studies in, in the early part of the 20th century, she, she started to meet Christians. And again, she was kind of an agnostic at that point, but she met believing Christians and she admired their spiritual lives. She admired their intellectual lives. And she graduated with the highest honors from Göttingen University in the year 1915. She became a nurse, served in World War I at a field hospital in Austria. But then she came back to the academy. She became a professor. In 1916, she earned her PhD. She wrote her doctorate on the phenomenon of empathy, which is really interesting because she went on to talk. JP2 always used her as an example of the feminine genius. He talked about that all the time. And even Edith Stein said that one thing that, that you know, obviously men can have this too to some degree, but the, the idea of empathy is something that, that women really have this, this gift at. And so, so she wrote about that. And she, she never, even though she was interested in Christianity, she, she wasn't quite 100% sure. But then in 1921, she was visiting some friends and she, she managed to find in her friend's house the autobiography of the 16th century Carmelite nun, St. Teresa of Avila. And she, she found this autobiography. There's nothing else to do. Um, she just picked it up, started reading it, and she read the whole thing in one night. She stayed up all night. She could not put this thing down. She was transfixed. And she said this later on. She said, quote, When I had finished the book, I said to myself, this is the truth. This is the truth. And so she was 100% convinced of Catholicism at that point. And she was baptized on the first day of January, 19. 19- 22 and she wanted to become a carmelite nun just like saint Teresa of avila right away but she had to wait she had to wait for 11 years before that actually happened she she wound up teaching at a dominican school speaking of saint dominic a dominican school she used to give lectures on on issues related to women and she spent the year of 1931 writing about saint thomas aquinas and she began teaching in 1932 in a university but unfortunately her academic career was cut short by the war, the rise of Nazism. Um, she was, of course, ethnically Jewish, and that, that obviously made her a target right away. Um, really difficult. Her mom never understood why she became a Catholic, and she, she had this sort of very painful uh, separation uh, from her mom. And she, she did enter the convent, a Carmelite convent, in 1934, and she took the name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And of course, that Teresa was St. Teresa of Avila, who she so admired. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And the reason why she did that, because she wanted to accept suffering in her life. And she had no idea, probably, what God would require of her. But she wrote about the cross of Christ. She wrote about the science of the cross. And she once said, I felt that those who understood the cross of Christ should take it upon themselves on everybody's behalf. Wow, this is incredible, this idea of... of of intercession and, and and sacrifice on behalf of others for the salvation of souls. And she prayed in particular, she prayed in particular for the Jews in Germany, and, and she could see what was coming down the road, that, that there was no way out for them. And she said this in 1939, this is quite profound. She said, quote, I ask the Lord to accept my life and my death so that the Lord will be accepted by his people 
and that his kingdom may come in glory for the salvation of Germany and the peace of the world, end of quote. Wow, it's incredible that she wanted to somehow offer her own, what she thought was going to be her impending death, and whatever, her, whatever God wanted, whatever life or death God had for her. She wanted it so that her, her Jewish brethren uh, would, would accept the Lord, the Lord Jesus, um, who of course was Jewish, Mother Mary, all, all the apostles, and that they would understand that, that he came uh, for the fulfillment of Judaism as well as to open it up to, to all the Gentiles of the world as well. And she was arrested along with her sister Rosa, who had also converted to Catholicism, became a Carmelite as well. Uh, the Gestapo came to the convent, and they demand they knew that they were from a Jewish background. Those two girls, the sisters, and they said, "Look, if you don't send them out, we're going to take all of you to the to to the gas ovens." And and they left. They said, "You guys stay here." And uh, Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross, Edith Stein, and her sister Rosa uh, were taken by the Nazis and. And that happened on August the 7th, 1942. She died in the concentration camp of Auschwitz on August the 9th of 1942, was canonized by St. John Paul II in 1998. In the very next year, in 99, he named her the co-patroness of Europe. And I just want to leave you with one quote um, from, see, it's so many profound quotes, but as we're in August, this, this month of great saints, let the saints come marching in, a lot of us are resting. Some of you are on vacation right now. And she always said, you've got to rest in the hands of God. This is what she said, quote, God is there in moments of rest, and he can give us in a single instant exactly what we need. And then the rest of the day can take its course under the same effort and strain, perhaps, but in peace. And when night looks back and you see how fragmentary everything has been, how much you plan that has gone undone, and all the reasons you have to be embarrassed and ashamed. Just take everything exactly as it is, put it in God's hands, and leave it to Him. Really rest and start the next day as a new life. End of quote. I think that's good advice for all of us as we come to the end of this day and this episode of The Kale Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced, Patrick Alog took your phone call. Stay tuned for trending in the family rosary across America. God bless you. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.